0: Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Come on in. Good morning. We have some Bibles up here. Do we have some ushers that would like to distribute these Bibles? Some people come to church expecting the Bible. I don't know. So we have them here. Uh, I would encourage you to take one this morning uh, because we're going to actually open it up and look at it a little bit. Um, We're going to be looking at some of the parables of Jesus today. My name's Ash or John, whatever you prefer. Good to see you all. Good to be back here. Can you all see me? I always feel like it's so dark up here. Can, can you see my face? Good. Otherwise, I'm going to come and just sit next to you, if that's if that's better. I feel oftentimes like, just come come on down. Yes. Doing I'm doing good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking good. Thank you. You were not expecting this. No, not at all. Uh, not you, it is. <laughs> so maybe the... Maybe the tree back here. I got to find my best light. <laughs> Too much of the fake tan? Is that what that is? Yeah, you know, I got dressed up this morning. I put on a collared shirt. And... uh I'm excited to talk to you guys about these, this series we've been in called Unfair, which I, I swear I've gone in and out of understanding what that meant, and there's like this lion next to a lamb and in the, the graphic, And uh, but Boog said, hey, I'm, go, I'm taking my wife out for our anniversary this weekend, so I need you to, to come in, and amen that uh, they're celebrating their anniversary, right? Uh, Marriage is hard, isn't it? And uh, so we got to celebrate it when we make it through another year, you know? (laughs) We did it. We're still going. And uh, so I said, yeah, I I will do a sermon. And he said, well, I just started this series on the prodigal son, uh, or the, however you want to categorize that parable of the two sons and loving father, or the prodigal son, or the bitter older son, or we, we've named it what we've named it, but I started this series and I just did, you know, we did the first week on the older brother last week. So if you weren't here, you can listen to that. And uh, he's like, then I've got another one on the younger son and then I've got one on the father. uh, So don't preach on the prodigal son. And I'm like, but we're we're right in the flow. You know, I'm going to, it's going to be the older brother, then Esh, some random passage on grace and then the younger son and then, (laughs) so I just decided, look, I'm going to talk about partying uh, instead because uh, who doesn't like a party uh, but in the parable of this prodigal son of the older brother bit older brother or the loving father there is a party at the end if you haven't read it you can read it but there are a number of passages and parables and stories that Jesus tells that have parties in them and I think we just kind of gloss over the parties apparently Jesus is talking about a party And apparently, somehow along the line, we've forgotten that the whole thing's a party. Would you agree? I mean, when you think of church or showing up here on a Sunday morning, we're like, yeah, I'm going to a party. No. Not generally how you would describe it. Uh, When your neighbors see you driving down the street, and they wonder where they're headed on a Sunday morning. To a party. (laughs) That's how we roll on Sunday mornings. We get started early can't party all day if you don't start right at the beginning so <laughs> my uncle used to say it of my uncle said can't drink all day if you don't start early so say in the same way Jesus says can't party all day unless you start early uh, that's heresy don't believe that uh, So I want to share with you, before we get into it, we're going to be in Luke chapter 14, by the way, so if you want to quietly, uh, if you're a fidgeter like me, you can turn there while I'm talking, but I want to share with you a a recent digital conversation that I had, which means I used my my phone, and I was texting uh, a dear friend of mine who lives and works in the Middle East, and uh, he's he's doing amazing things and uh, lives in a very difficult place. He lives in Iraq. Uh, he and his wife and their two kids have chosen to, in the way of Jesus, go to this place that needs healing, restoration, love, light. And so they're there. And oftentimes when I think about my first world problems, I remember him and his wife and their kids and what they're living through. And often he'll post pictures and videos of himself and he's in these war-torn areas, and you can hear the explosions and see the smoke in the background. He's, we're here right on the front lines. They've been using chemical weapons now. This is what's happening. And because of the support that you're giving to us, we're able to bring you know, blankets and food and to these refugees and liberate people. And so uh, he makes me feel like I'm wasting my life. But at the same time... I'm, I'm also grateful to have him as a brother because I can have these interactions. So I just say, hey, I, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about you. And I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And I'm grateful for what you're doing. And, uh, and I heard you might be coming through Los Angeles with one of these large megachurch tour things uh, to speak. And he says, oh, no, I, I'm not making it. And then uh, we're texting back and forth and... and uh, he asked me this question, it's, it's that question, uh, it's, it's three words, right? How are you? And you see it in text and you're kind of like, but since this is a brother that I've spent time with and we have this kind of relationship with, I have this like split second to decide like we all do and we get asked that question, how are you? And maybe you've made up your mind years ago to come up with an answer to that question, right? Fine, or good. Uh, you know, maybe it's the same answer over and over for you. Fine, good. Uh, I usually, it's one of the few, there's, there's usually one of a few options. I wrote some down. Fine, good, pretty good. Busy, super busy, crazy busy. <laughs> tired, super tired, beat. Um, those are like some of the ones that I've, you know, they come off, they roll off the top. How are you? Super tired. How are you? Crazy busy. How are you? I'm beat. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good. How are you? Fine. Right? I mean, and these are, these are every teenage boy's answer to his mom's question at the end of the day. How are you? Fine. How's school? Fine. How are your friends? Fine. How's the war in Iraq? Fine. It's just, it's on, it's just on autopilot. But I decided in that moment, I chose not to answer in any of those ways, And I instead did my best to give an honest answer to his question. I told him that my life was full of joy and also that there's some challenges. So my my actual text read, here's the beginning. I'm grateful. I'm enjoying life right now. We are in a good season. Work is going well. Kids are healthy. And then there's always hiccups of, and this part's been redacted here. (laughs) Uh, It's been crossed out. Thing one, difficult. Thing two, difficult. Thing three, difficult. Uh, Thing four, and trying to follow Jesus. (laughs) Difficult. So there's a good mix, I said, so there's a good mix of blessings and challenges. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Life has challenges. But for the most part, right now, gratitude prevails, is what I wrote. And he writes back to me this. He said, I heard someone say recently that maturity is about carrying two bags, one full of grief And one full of gratitude. He says, the idea is that if you're only carrying a bag full of gratitude, that's not maturity. The world is too broken and life is too hard to only be carrying around gratitude. We have to carry the grief as well. He said, that helped me a lot because Lord knows I got a bag of grief. (laughs) Remember, this is my friend living in Iraq, right? And I'm thinking, man, his bag of grief. A little bit bigger than my bag maybe but it's not about comparing right it's just we've each got one we've each got a past we've each got a present and a future that has some grief in it I wrote back that's a good word I'll, I'll take that with me grief dying loss it's all a part of it and it all belongs and then he responded back with this and, and this stuck with me and you need to stick with me here on this He said, and then I hang out and preach at, insert worldwide megachurch name here, you'd all know it if I said it, but I'm not going to mention it. He said, but you'd you'd all know it. I preach and hang out here every few months, and I got to tell you, sometimes that culture can feel like the only bag that matters is the gratitude hashtag blessing bag. So I just keep bringing the grief. And to my surprise, I think people want to hear about it. They want to hear that it's not all blessing, because we all got grief, even if the preacher ain't talking about it. And I rounded out out the conversation with this this text, real eloquent, ha-ha, for sure. Don't forget the grief. And then, here's the part I, I ended with, and I want you to sit with. The way of Jesus is a downward journey, losing, dying, failing. The way of Jesus is a, is a downward journey. Losing, dying, failing. And my last sentence it's the only way there can be resurrection. You have no resurrection without death. So let's look at this parable of Jesus with that thought in mind. We're going to be in Luke, we're going to start in verse. 12 of chapter 14. It's generally called the great banquet, this parable. Uh, Jesus is having dinner at a prominent Pharisee's home. So he's having dinner at Boog's house. Uh, you know, he got invited. I mean, well, maybe we should go a little higher. He's having dinner at Rick Warren's house. I mean, right. Well, how high do you have to go in the Christian church to really be? He's having dinner with the Pope. Uh, Whatever it was, the Pharisees were the religious leaders, the prominent. They were, the, they were generally well-to-do. They were generally intelligent. They were smart, educated. And so Jesus is with them and having dinner at one of their houses. And there's, these dinners in the Middle East, in those days, people could come and listen to the conversation of the social elite and hear what they were talking about. And so if they heard that this prominent rabbi who had been gaining notoriety in the region was coming to have dinner at Rick Warren's house, at Boog's house, at my house. Whoever's, whoever's hearing about this says, oh, I want to come hear that conversation. What are they going to be talking about? You know, if I could just hear and listen in. And inevitably at these dinner, you get all kinds of riffraff that wander in and out too. Uh, but they know their place. And there's a man there who has... This illness called dropsy, and it's the Sabbath, and Jesus heals him. And that was already no-no number one. And uh, he starts to go after the religious elite at the party. He he said also to the man who had invited him, in in verse 12, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends. Let's just stop right there. (laughs) Hey, babe, let's have a dinner tonight. Like, who should we invite? Let's go find some random people. (laughs) <laughs> just has anybody done that let's go over I mean we could, we could swing by Costco because there's always someone there with a sign let's pick that person up and bring them then we could go over to Ocean Ranch there's always someone there we could swing by you know uh, let's just go to the campground at Doheny there's always some fringe folks there that we don't know let's pick them up who does that On like a a Thursday night where there's like, but let's just get back to it. When you throw a dinner, give a dinner or banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Well, that just takes out my whole community. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, guys. None of you are ever coming to dinner again. Um, Lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor. The crippled, the lame, the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, I actually don't think Jesus is saying, don't have your friends over for dinner. Don't have your, like, sorry, mom, dad, no. You know, my sister, sorry, my brother, no. Uh, kids, it's even questionable now. I mean, whether you can stay here, <laughs> you're related. Um, I mean, how far do you go with this, right? Uh, but he's getting at something a little bit more subversive. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And then that's a little bit of a head scratcher, scratcher for me, the resurrection of the just. And then in verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table, so this is one of the prominent, one of the wealthy, one of the smart, he's there at the table, he's reclining, and he says to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, meanwhile, there's riffraff and all sorts of people not eating, not at the table, with Jesus. They're just observing. And then here's, here's, the, here's the but. Does it have a but in yours? Mine says but. B-U-T. Yeah? Verse 16. But Jesus said to him, which means... Whatever that dude said was not what Jesus was talking about. Do you understand how that works in just language? It's not, indeed, and then Jesus continues. It's not, and, Jesus is nodding, and also this. It's, but, you don't get it. (laughs) You don't get it, oh, wealthy dude at the table who says, blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God, um, I'm not sure what you were talking about, Jesus, with the uh, inviting the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. But the resurrection, I like that part. And uh, Jesus says, a man, he says, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time, so they're all, everybody's already been invited to this banquet, okay? He invited all these people. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant." So imagine you've gotten, you know, the thick manila envelope and you've pulled out this elaborate invitation made by Mo Paperco, uh, these beautiful calligraphy and, and embossed golden seal sort of thing, and, it, and it's just wonderfully made, and you've been invited to this banquet, this gala, if you will. And then it's time for the banquet and this. This master of the house spares no, no expense and says, I will even send someone to each home to let each person know by live voice in person that it is time to come to the party. Who does that? I mean, I've gotten the nice embossed, in, but no one has showed up to my house to say, Hey, Ash, The food's hot, let's go. The band is playing, let's go. He sends them out to say to those who have been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Now, all of those excuses are fine excuses, right? Uh, It's like I was invited to this gala, but, uh, you know, the screenplay for my new movie just came out, and I have to fly to New York to do a reading, okay? I can't be there. You know, I I just bought a new fleet of trucks for my construction company and I need to make sure they're all running properly because we have a big, we have a big job on Monday. So I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm sorry. I just got married. I mean, nobody's really like faulting that guy, right? <laughs> right, dude? I get it, right? So what's going on there? Because no one... They're, they're perfectly fine excuses, but we have to understand Jesus is talking about something bigger. It's not just like a party. We're talking about the party, like the party, like life, eternal life. So the servant came and reported these things to his master Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. So now, Jesus is saying, essentially, if we just look at where he's sitting around the table with all these Pharisees and the the social elite, and he's saying, At this banquet that this guy's throwing, none of you guys are there because y'all made excuses. So all the riffraff that's moving around outside, we're bringing them in. And they're now at the table. Okay? So he does that. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. I like that there's always still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges. And compel, which is like another word for drag or force, (laughs) people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And I don't think that's a punishment necessarily, but there's a lot going on here. And I would argue primarily this is about grace. Though there's a soft judgment at the end, most of this parable is all about the grace of the master of the house. He's actually a little crazy, right? It does not make sense. Uh, Get this banquet ready. He's planned it. All these people knew it was happening. He sent a personal servant out to get them. And then there's all these excuses, right? Can't make it. Can't do it. Sorry. Uh, Do... Do you ever think about the excuses that you make, or do I think about the excuses that I make? Shouldn't go to you guys. Come on, let's let's just keep it here at home. The excuses that I make: uh, I don't want to fail. I don't want to die. I don't want to lose. My closest friends will tell you how competitive I am, and it comes out in these, usually on the golf course, and it's awful. So don't golf with me. But uh, it comes out in like a card game, and it comes out in terrible places. But uh, <laughs> but I hate to lose. I hate to fail, and ultimately, I don't want to die. So I make excuses. I do whatever I can to prop myself up to make myself a person that's winning however I can. Now, what does this have to do with the party? What does this have to do with the blind and the crippled and the lame? The thing is, is for me, I know better. I've been raised in the church. I know that humility is the way of Jesus. I know that death And losing is the way of Jesus. I know that self-sacrifice is the way of Jesus. And yet, I don't really ever want to do those things. I don't want to give up my life for the party. Because I'm not, I just, I don't know if I, sometimes I forget. And here's the thing about the gospel, the good news I, I, I was telling this to, to Russ. It, if it's not good news, you're not doing it right. And if what you hear from me is not good news, then I'm not preaching it right. Because it's good news. Let me just tell you a couple other stories. We're gonna, this is all going to make sense eventually, and, and there's not much left for you to fall asleep at. So hold on. Hang in there. See, Jesus, he comes along, and and what he is doing at all times is knocking down people's gods. He's saying, that's not going to work, that's not going to work, that's not going to work, and that's not going to work. John, that house, that house remodel, that yard remodel, that bathroom remodel, that's not going to work. John, that job, that salary, that outfit, that haircut, that beard, that's not going to work either. You can do all that. It's just not going to work. Those shoes are not going to work. That surfboard is not going to work. That surf trip, it's not going to work. It may work for a little while. But it's not going to work. It's not going to do the thing you want it to do. So it has to die. That has to die. doesn't mean you can't have that stuff. It just means the more that you put your trust in those things, John, the further you're going to be away from my party. Oh, the fleet of trucks, your wife. That's a hard reality. But here, let me give you an example and then I'll I'll, I'll get to how this actually works. Uh, Another one of Jesus' interactions, it's a little later in this same book of of Luke. You can turn there if you'd like, chapter 18. Uh, Luke records this interaction that Jesus has with a wealthy and powerful young man. And this young man asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? You're all, already wealthy and powerful. And let me just tell you, if you don't understand, in the day of Jesus, wealth was equated with God's blessing. We don't ever think that way these days, right? We would never be so foolish as to think that wealth would also come along with God's blessing. Nobody preaches that. But in their day, if you were wealthy, it was understood that you were being blessed by God. But all of us... We can think now with a little more, you know, discernment to know that, well, there are people that love God dearly that are not wealthy. And Jesus did lift up the poor, and he did praise this woman who only had two pennies to rub together, and she'll be in the gospel. Okay, so he's talking to the, he's, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. Don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal don't lie. Please honor your father and mother. And those, he just lists those ones. He's like, whoa, good. You know, that guy's you know, wiping his brow. I've done those things since my youth. Jesus hears him and says to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. That, there's just that thing. You did all those other things, but you got that thing, and it's not going to work, the wealth thing. Now, he didn't say that to everybody, but he said it to that guy. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to get into the party. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the party. It is easier... And we've, you know, we've tried to understand, well, what does that mean? It can't be impossible, but it just seems impossible, you know? Like, how's the camel going to get through an eye of an needle? I think what he's saying there is it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of an needle <laughs> than for a wealthy person to get into the party. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Because if the wealthy people that have the blessing of God can't get in, who can get in? This was like a mind blow for them. They're like, wait, what? No, he's the guy that's already in, isn't he? I mean, he's got, he's obeyed the commandments, he's got the wealth, he's powerful, he's young. And Jesus is like, you gotta walk away from all that. He doesn't say it's impossible, right? He just says it's really difficult. What's impossible with man is possible with God. God. Jesus says right after that. His possessions were holding him back. Jesus won't have it. It's an all-in deal, my friend. Sorry. You give me everything, I give you everything. You give me everything, you're in the party. Now, for the losers. I'm also a loser. I used to compete in surfing, um, my first year in competition, I lost in the first round every single contest. It was a short trip to the beach uh, <laughs> for my parents. My parents would show up and you know pray and hope that I might make one heat, just one heat, get third out of six guys that were surfing. And uh, but no, I lost first round of every single contest. Uh, the losers end up at the great banquet. What's going on there? This is a let's let's think about. It. We've got free food, good food. We got free drinks, a vast array. <laughs> Special party clothing. We got swag. You can wear you, for you to wear. There's a live band for dancing, and all the low are enjoying this on a day when they woke up not expecting any of it, or maybe ever, maybe even something worse they find themselves in this socially elite party they're at the gala they didn't get the embossed invitation like the first group but they're there nonetheless and they're partying they never thought they'd be at this great home today where the social elite are supposed to be where the winners and the wealthy are they're at the table reclining they're they didn't roll up in maseratis and lamborghinis or Teslas, they didn't have designer gowns or designer suits, they walked if they were able or were led by the hand, or they pushed a cart. And there they are. I want to read to you a quote. Uh, it's from this, this book here, which if you don't have it and you like are nerding out on parables like me, uh, Kingdom Grace Judgment by Robert Farrar Capon, And a lot of the ideas about this parable come from that book. And I want to read a quote from that book to you. He says this, Jesus is not telling the parable to enforce a moral about being nice to those less fortunate than ourselves. Hey, you really ought to do this. We already knew about that obligation, so that's not new. Of course we're supposed to be nice to people less fortunate than us. Rather, he is telling the parable to stand all known values on their heads. Hence, this bizarre story in which a well known socialite throws a party for people he found sitting in doorways drinking Muscatel out of brown paper bags. He says, Do you see? The point is that none of the people who had a right to be at the proper party came. And all the people who came had no right whatsoever to be there. Which means, therefore, that the one thing that has nothing to do with anything is rights. And that's hard for us, I would say. Grace doesn't work with rights. It does not work with rights. He says, what we see here what we see is the master of the house needing his house to be full. It's the grace of the master that drives the whole crazy undertaking. And now he's got this party that the original invites wouldn't be caught dead at. I'm not going to that party. Did you see who's there? (laughs) Right? Apparently, being caught dead is the ticket to the supper of the Lamb. That's the ticket to the party. See, the parable, there's a parable again that that Jesus tells of a hidden treasure in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. He says, "The, the party is like a treasure or the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy, in his joy, in his joy, in his joy he went and sold everything he had, bought the farm, bought the field, sold everything he had, bought the field. See, it's a joke, you guys. The whole thing's, Kapan says, the whole thing's an inside joke. It's like, God, oh, this thing's a joke, you guys. After this he talks about the high price of being a, a disciple, right? Unless you hate your mother and father, wife, wife, what is it? Unless you hate your mother and father, brother and sister, wife and children, and yes, even your own life, you cannot learn from me. You cannot be my disciple. That's what Jesus says in these following verses. You read it. You can look at it. Ooh, unless you bear your instrument of execution, your cross, and come after me, you cannot be, you can't learn from me. Can't be my disciple. And then he talks about that, you know, be sure to count the cost. Who would go to war against 20,000 if he only had 10,000? You know? In the same way, he says, I think it's in verse 33, he says, anyone who does not forsake all his possessions, does not give up everything he owns, does not abandon all his substance, he can't learn from me. He can't be my follower. And Capon's like, you guys, it's a huge inside joke. You don't get it? I'm kind of like, I don't get it. Do you get it? I don't get it. I think some of us are like, I don't get it. The price is high. But it also turns out to be a bargain. (laughs) You have to give up your relationships, your money, and your own life to receive what Jesus is offering you. That's everything. The cost is exactly one life. But good news, guys. You have exactly one life. <laughs> you have everything you need for a ticket. You have one life. You have all that's necessary to get into the banquet, to get into the party. And I'll tell you one more thing. All those things are already in the bank. You're going to lose All those things. You're going to lose everything you have ever owned. You're going to lose all your relationships. And you're going to lose your own life. It's called death. We're all headed there. Right? And eventually, you're going to lose all those things. So what Jesus is saying Lose it all now, and then you get the whole new, then you get the party. And the party's ongoing, and it's joyous. You get it all back. But you get it back through me. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's, that's Paul's word. He says it in Colossians 3.3. 3, he says, for you died. And most of us were like, uh-uh, I didn't die. I'm right here. Yeah, beard's still grown. I didn't die. But Paul's saying, no, you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. But what we end up doing, and here's my, this is where I get in trouble. This is where i got to come sit down with you guys, because I grow a beard, and I put on these jeans that are probably too small for me, and... I want to look good, and I want to look like I have it together. I know from working with people long enough that you scratch just a little below the surface, you find pain, you find suffering, you find someone hiding. It's all of us. It's all of us. It's me. It's all of us. We all do that. And in this place, no, this is not the place to do that. This is not the place for that. My beautiful bride, who's holding my tiny little daughter, who's on her iPhone, that's the only thing that's going to keep her silent right now, is right back there. And she's like, I cried four days in a row this week. Right? That's my mom. Yeah. (laughs) Life is hard. We've got a bag of grief and a bag of gratitude, a bag of joy. There's goodness, but there's hard stuff too. And this needs to be the place where both are available, where both can come to the light, where both can be accepted. But too often... We're trying to live. And people that are alive don't get into the party. People that are winning don't get into the party. Okay? This is about grace. So it's fine. Dress, put it all on, comb your hair, get it cut, grow a beard, whatever. Do that. But know, but know that you died. And I think some of us forget. I forget that I died. And then what creeps in is this pride and this criticism, like somehow I earned my spot, right? And like, oh, this poor person over here who needed grace, well, we have a little grace row for you, okay? You could sit in the grace row. It's, it's, you know, in the dark or whatever. No one will see you in your sin, But the rest of us, we have nice haircuts, you know, and cool clothes, and we're winning, and we're alive. And Jesus is going, you're missing the party. You're missing the party. And shame on me and for any of us that make the party, the the people that are invited, those that need the grace, feel like they're not invited. I did this a lot in my younger years where I thought I could decide who gets to go to the party and who doesn't. Right? Well, that person's not going. They can't go. In the name of truth, I would shut the door of the kingdom in their face. Sorry, this party's not for you. I get to decide who gets in and who doesn't. Just saying. I've said it before, but I'll say it again, my friend. Say, the church ought to be a safe place to hear a dangerous message. It's become a dangerous place to hear a safe message. This is the party, my friends. You drove to the party this morning, and it should be joyous. It should be, yes, we're here, and we didn't even know we were going to be here. We didn't even expect, and yet the servant was sent out to drag us in. You thought you were out, but you're in. You didn't even know it was happening, and you're in. It's good news. It's good news. (sighs) Kapan, again, he says this. He says, the only sad thing is that so often the church looks as if it's never heard the joke. Either it's afraid to talk about losing and blathers on instead about salvation through moral success intellectual competence, and spiritual triumph, or if it finally does get around to telling people that death resurrection is the name of the game, it puts on a long face and acts as if the whole deal is a crying shame. But the gospel is not a tragedy. He says it's a hilariously salty story in which school teachers, crane operators, models, bag ladies, tennis pros, drug addicts, bankers, lawyers, pimps, all get away with murder just by dropping dead. Come on, friends, this is a house of grace. It's joyous, it's a party, and if we miss this, then we operate out of a false self that we're trying to prop up for everyone to admire. And that keeps us out of the party. Don't do it. Let me close with this. How are you? I'm a dead man. Problem is, I'm not usually dead enough. I keep falling back into this way of thinking that winning and living is the way instead of hiding my life in Christ. And I, I hide my sin and I try to display my own righteousness. It does not work. Jesus has this line in Luke 14, 27 whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot learn from me, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not take up his instrument of execution daily and come after me cannot learn from me. And the apostle Paul said, you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. I had one more crazy idea. Because this is just getting in, you guys. It plays out a lot differently, and we could talk about that at another time. But I'm just talking about getting into the party. Capon says this, confession is not a transaction, okay? It's not a negotiation in order to secure forgiveness. It's after that last gasp of a corpse that can finally afford to admit it's dead and accept resurrection. Forgiveness surrounds us. It beats upon us all our lives. We confess only to wake up to what we already have. Oh, it's beautiful. So let me pray for us, and may we remember that we've died. May we keep our lives hidden with Christ in God and give us eyes to see the joke that we've already got everything in the bank. Jesus, thanks for uh, coming and inviting us to the party. Thanks for compelling us, insisting that we be there. Remind us that the things that we think are going to do it for us, are going to get us in, don't end up doing it. But it's your grace and your grace alone. Your grace and your grace alone. Lord, that we're not gonna be, Lord, that you tell us that we're gonna be dealt with in spite of what we deserve, not according to what we deserve. Lord, that your grace works by raising the dead, not by rewarding the living. So may we remember for those of us that have already died that our life is now hidden with you in God. And for those of us that think that any other thing other than your grace gets us into the party, or may we die to those, those thoughts. May we die to that striving and simply receive the invitation to new life. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen.